0: Dr. Michael Roizen. Dr. Michael Roizen. You, the Owner's Manual Radio Show.
1: You're listening to You, the Owner's Manual Radio Podcast on Radio MD, iHeart, or wherever you download us from. Thanks very much for doing that. Do tell your friends about us. We have a wonderful guest for you again today. This is 1066-1066-B. So we're rolling into our 20... First year, 1066 B of you, the owner's manual, and um, Nina Kraus, Dr. Nina Kraus, is our guest today. She's the author of "Of Sound Mind." Of Sound Mind, how our brain constructs a meaningful sonic world. She is the director of the renowned. BrainVolts Lab, B-R-A-I-N-V-O-L-T-S. So it would be to get in touch with her lab, brainvolts.northwestern.edu is the website. But she is the director of that BrainVolts Lab and makes the case that sounds of the world around us and what sounds we're exposed to throughout our lives really do impact the development of our brains, our abilities and weaknesses we develop, and who we are as human beings. Um, And Nina, I'm curious about a few things. One, first of all, thank you for being here. And two, um, I'm so curious about a few things. How important are the sounds we hear when we're children and in that first one to three years versus as adults?
0: Sounds are important throughout our entire lives. It begins in utero, and you know, we're, and we're different uh, developmentally, biologically, at different times of our lives. But I would say that sound is as important to us at every single time of our lives.
1: And um, when you we say sound is important to us. How does it relate to the importance of others? I mean, it's a it's a apples oranges question. I mean, which probably can't be answered, but maybe you can shed some light on it. How important is sound versus uh, pain versus touch versus smell versus taste? The other senses um, is sound the most important?
0: Oh, you know, sound. First of all, sound connects us, so that is tremendously important, and um, and it is more connected also to our other senses than you might think. You know, I, I, I we like to categorize uh, things into buckets, including our senses, but in fact, when we pay attention to sound and we're Making meaning from sound, we are also um, engaging our our memories, what we know about sound, and that can include what what we smell when we're hearing that sound, or what we're looking at when that sound is happening. So an important point about our sound mind is that it engages how we think, how we feel, how we move, and how we pull together information from our other senses. So all of that is part of what happens when we make sense of sound.
1: Now, a part of the book, and obviously a part of your lab and your science at Brainbolts, is exactly how it does that, how, how it integrates, or how sound is helpful at integrating, And in fact, one of the things that I found so fascinating was the difference between a musician and a non-musician or even an athlete and a non-athlete. And I've often wondered, how can the football players hear the signals when the sound is so loud? Or how can the basketball players on the court hear uh, sounds? And... um, you go into that, and so maybe just give us a a brief thing. How can we hear sounds when other when the noises around us are so loud? It's almost as though we have a sound cancellation device.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the the things that we do and how we spend our time in the world shape our nervous system, and so if you spend a lot of time, I um, say, as a musician, and and you're really thinking about. In um, all of the, the different parts of making sense of sound, thinking, feeling, moving, uh, integrating our other senses, you know, as a musician, you need to do all of those things. Um, as an athlete, uh, you are also um, engaging your whole body and you are engaging your brain and you are needing to know what to pay attention to and what to ignore, um, and, and that's tremendously important. And, and then you do that again and again and again and again. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've really learned and have been able to see firsthand in neural activity is how, you know, yes, of course, the nervous system changes a little bit in the moment. Um, but what really has a profound biological impact on us is the things that we do again and again and again. So one of the things that we've discovered in, in the musician brain is that there are certain aspects of sound. So, for example, the, the, the harmonics in sound and certain aspects of timing, um, which are also really important for language, and these things are enhanced. In the athlete brain, what we have discovered in our elite athletes that we've been testing at uh, Northwestern University, we have all of our 500 Division I athletes that we've been um, working with longitudinally over the last five years uh, with an an NIH grant. um, We have found that these elite athletes have extraordinarily quiet brains, So they have quiet with respect to the background neural static that is always going on in the brain. And so you can imagine that if you have a quiet background, you're going to be able to hear signals and make sense of all kinds of sensory events better.
1: Is that, I was trying to formulate the next question in a meaningful way, and um, what I want to say, is that a characteristic of the athlete before they become an athlete, or is it a characteristic as they develop into an elite athlete? In other words, is this a learned skill, or is this a genetic skill or combination?
0: It's always going to be a combination, and and I, I think that it's it's um you know, trying to disentangle how much is, um, you know, inherently what you're uh, made up of when you are born and how you spend your time, the effects of both are indisputable. Um, we, have no, we have no control over the nose we were born with. But we certainly do have control over how we spend our time and how we direct our children to spend their time and the choices that we make. And those things, I can tell you, certainly do influence your brain, your nervous system, who you are. So, you know, that that's one of the areas that we have been especially interested in looking at and, and seeing how... Different people who spend a lot of time doing one activity or another, how that changes their sound mind.
1: We're talking with Nina Krauss, K-R-A-U-S, K R A U S, the author, the head of the Brain Volts Lab at Northwestern, and the, um, she is a named uh, professor of neurobiology there, an elite. Position as the Hugh Knowles Professor of Neurobiology, Communication Sciences and Otolaryngology at Northwestern, but she also in, and she's the author of Of Sound Mind: How Our Brain Constructs a Meaningful Sonic World, a wonderfully stimulating book. And the way you can get in touch with her lab is Brain Bolts, Brainvolts, B R A I N V O L T S. Dot northwestern.edu dot let me let me go and probe that a little more if you will if you take an elite athlete uh, say one of the Northwestern basketball players or if you took Michael Jordan when he first came to the Bulls and you said what happens is his mind focused and quiet when he started playing or does it get better as he plays even if it was relatively quiet when he started,
0: yeah, yeah. It certainly, I would say that it would get better as he plays, because what we can see is that even if um, you know take two people and 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 start them out, they look uh, very similar. Say with respect to neural noise. So um, this this quiet brain, and if you take someone who then over time, spends a lot of time, um, say, uh, honing that quiet brain, it it is something that builds over time. And this is something that we have seen again and again, especially in our musician studies and in our um, bilingualism studies, that if you follow people longitudinally, year after year after year, and that's what we're doing with the athletes as well, you can see that the more the people are engaged in what they are doing and the more that um, you know they, they have a particular, say, athlete signature or bilingual signature or musician neural signature, the more that gets strengthened over time.
1: Let me go and ask you another question that our audience probably cares about a lot, that is, um, you go in in the book talking about strategies to practice distinguishing speech in noise. Um, so that's one of the most difficult problems for people as they age when you hear a lot of, when you're in a noisy room, they have trouble Distinguishing people speaking to them, what they're saying. How does that work? And how do you, what strategies can one use to do that?
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that we've learned is that um, as well as we get older, uh, yes, it does become often increasingly more difficult to uh, hear, say, speech in a noisy place. But we find that um, people who have engaged their sound mind throughout their lives, so musicians. Uh, and, and by musicians, I, I mean anyone who regularly plays a musical instrument. Um, I'm, I'm not talking about professional musicians uh, exclusively at all. Um, I'm, I'm talking about many of us who, who regularly play a musical instrument. Uh, we find that um, that paying attention to sound because because the sound mind, engages how we think, how we remember, how we pay attention, how we feel, how we move, all of those things, this is strengthened by making music. And so that we find that an older person who uh, has a history of regularly making music is better at hearing speech and noise. So that's one of the things that one can do to improve one's hearing and noise ability there are so many other things as well. I mean, first of all, being, being mindful of the noises in our lives that are unnecessary can certainly help us. You know, we, we often don't even realize when we walk into a room that there are all kinds of, of sounds, many of which just don't really need to be there. And, you know, we, we, can, we can value, we can prize Um, you know, getting a refrigerator that is quiet. Uh, It's probably also going to be more energy efficient. Um, But but making choices for um, the the, the kind of environment that we ourselves and our children and, uh, you know, the classrooms that we create, the sonic environment is an important one. And I think that because we are so visually engaged and because there is so much racket we are forgetting how to listen and there is so much to listen to there's so much to listen to especially and you know when when thinks about listening to sounds carefully you think about being in nature and we again something that i talk about in the book is how all living things respond to sound so even um, it, it, trees and plants actually um, respond to sound, as do all other living creatures. Um, so that sound is, is tremendously important for many many animals for mating. For I mean, it's, it's evolutionarily one of the, the the our most ancient senses because uh, it makes us aware. Of the important things that are going on around us,
1: so you got into and and by the way, i've got to ask you one of my favorite uh, passages in here is on harmonics versus fm sweeps that you have in the book. You go into a lot of uh, what I would call important details on how we hear. Um, Nina is who we're talking to, of Sound Mind, How Our Brain Constructs a Meaningful Sonic World. And we're 1066B, and you can get in touch with her through BrainVolts, B-R-A-I-N-V-O-L-T-S dot Northwestern dot E-D-U. Let me go in, and ask you a, a, a question I probably should have asked early on, which is, how did you get involved in this field? What, what was it that caught your attention to get you involved in the study of sound?
0: It, it naturally evolved, and, and I think it evolved probably to a large extent because of, of how I was raised. I, I was raised in a household where, where more than one language was spoken. My mom was a pianist. Um, and I, you know, there was a lot of music being made around the house, so sound always seemed important, but really it's just something that, that, and it's funny, you know, the different things that make people excited. Uh, you know, you, you, you talked about the first part of, of my book, which is, um, how sound works. And then the second part is our sonic sense, our sonic selves, and, um, so the larger part of the book is our sonic selves. But the first part really does get into things like, um, you know, how, w- w- what is sound and, and how is it processed in the brain and how can we talk about this in a way that, that someone who doesn't have a science background, um, you know, can, can, can make sense of it. And I love, you know, I'm, I'm like, a, like a child, uh, you know, who, tell me that story again I, you know, I, I've I've told the story about sound and you know uh, what sound is and and how our brain processes sound biologically. I've listened to that story. I've read about that story again and again and again, and I just never get tired of it. Um, so I, I hope that that the readers of the book will um will will, will in, enjoy the The makings of sound and and the biological bases of the sound mind. But you know if if it's rough going a little bit at the beginning, um you know, skip over some sections and know that you can always go back. but that that foundation um of the first part of the book, I think really can help take to heart, help the reader take to heart um, the the biological strength behind. My arguments for our sonic selves and how our life in sound truly makes us who we are.
1: To me, it is always so, uh, how do I call it, surprising that when I hear the first three or four notes of a song, you know, like, uh, for example, when I hear uh, Frankie Valley's Oh What a Night, or when I hear a marching song, literally in the first three or four um, notes, it, it sets the, the emotion that you get from hearing that, just like it would a funeral dirge. Um, so it's, it's I, I mean, I, I've always been fascinated by this, and your book goes into that. I, I want to impart one uh, funny story. I was talking with uh, someone who uh, developed a large broadcasting empire, and uh, Milt a. Uh, Guy named, by the name Milt Milk Maltz. And uh, when I saw FM, I said, Do you know what FM in the radio sense stood for? So I wanted to ask you that, Nina. And if you get this right, um, you are the master.
0: <laughs> uh, well,
1: do you, do you know it, what it FM stood for? Frequency
0: for? Modulation.
1: Well, no, in, in the radio, it stood for free music, believe it or not. Ah in AM, so AM versus uh, FM, when it was first developed, it was free music. So hopefully I will have taught you one little thing, because you taught oh, me. Oh, you have. It's, you taught me so much. Um, Nina Krauss, the director, the the originator of the Brainvolts Lab at Northwestern, brainvolts.northwestern.edu. This is the book of Sound Mind, How Our Brain Constructs a Meaningful Sonic World. Thanks very much. We, of course, are brought to you by bovine colostrum. It has nothing to do with sound. I don't even think it affects sound in any other way, but it is useful at decreasing the leaky gut syndrome, maybe the bowel sounds you have, when you take a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug or even aspirin or when you exercise hard it is something that decreases the effect on your villi the intestinal um, absorption surface so it minimizes the effect that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or aspirin has on it I don't think that has anything to do with of sound mind except for bowel sounds Thanks very much, Nina. Um, Again, brainvolts.northwestern.edu. Thank you, Caitlin, for great engineering, but especially thank you, our listeners, who really motivate us to keep going. Thanks again. We'll be back next week.